But if the whole of life is just a blink of an eye, and all our stuff is just stuff, and it doesn't matter if times get bad and we lose it, because we're an investing in a treasure in heaven, if the whole of life is just a blink of an eye compared to the eternity we'll share with our Creator and with one another, uh, as you grow older, it can put a smile on your face. Because you're that much closer to heaven. And in the meanwhile, though your heart is aching like he sings, even though it's breaking, it can be in you too. The kind of reflective joy that uh, that old song can, can give us. And Lord willing, that's what we'll be feeling once we're done today. Even as a Christian, sometimes you can't help but frown when your heart is aching, when the clouds are in the sky. You can't help but wonder at times like that. Ever wonder if God's really there? Why doesn't He just show up and do something? You know, he's, he he's a, must be a child abuser as a father, given what he's letting me go through. Sometimes he makes you wait so long for things and things you want, things you, things you need. Sometimes it feels like this waiting game I used to put my dog through back when I was in junior high school when I was a kid. Before I gave him his treat, you know, you, or you'd, you want to make him prove that they're subservient to you, right? And so you hold the treat in front of their nose and you say, stay, stay, no, no. And he would turn his face away so as not to be tempted, looking so forlornly up at me. And then I'd say, okay, eat it, good boy. You know, but at least he could see me, and you can't see God. And I can't say that about him. I didn't make I, I didn't make him stay forever. Like God, it feels like God's doing with me right now. Why can't we even just see him? Is that too much to ask? Maybe you're asking that question today. And instead, sometimes it's like this game of hide and seek that we play with him, where and I'm always it, and he never comes out, no matter how long I look, no matter how, how loud I call. If God's really there, why doesn't he just show himself? It's like David said, why, O oh Lord, do you stand afar off? The godliest people feel this, King David. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble when I most need you? Or Job, how small a whisper do we hear of him? Or Isaiah, truly, you are a God who hides himself. Ever feel like he's playing a game of cat and mouse with you, hide and seek? A lot of people have. From children to theologians. Why, said the French theologian Henri de Lubac, why is it that the mind that has found God still retains or constantly reverts to the feeling of not having found him? Why does his absence sometimes weigh on us, even in the presence itself? When face to face with him who penetrates all things, why that insurmountable obstacle, that unbridgeable gap? Why always a wall or a gaping void? Why do all things, as soon as they have shown him to us, betray us by concealing him again? I felt that, and I know many of you have too. We're going to see today... We're going to see today that it's all because of the sea. Yes, the sea, as in S-E-A. What sea? Well, listen carefully, because if you're anything like me, it'll make you smile, though your heart is aching, even though it's breaking. It's in Revelation 21, if you turn there. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. In fact, it's one of my favorite books, so much so that we may, those of you who go to Dillon Community Church, we may launch into Revelation next fall once we're done with Romans. We'll see. 
my mother uh, just passed away in November, and so I've been thinking a lot about this chapter. I've been thinking a lot about heaven these days, and a good part of what I've been thinking comes from Revelation 21, and I wanted to share some of it with you this summer. Last week, we looked at life in the millennial kingdom. We're doing a series on heaven. The millennial kingdom, the thousand-year rule of Christ right here on the earth that will come immediately after this seven-year tribulation when all hell is going to break loose right here on earth. This week, we're going to turn from the millennial to the eternal kingdom. We'll look at life in the eternal kingdom, in the new creation, in the new heaven, and the new earth that's going to come immediately after the millennium, after the thousand-year rule of Christ on the earth. When people normally think of heaven, they often lump, it's just one thing. And what they're doing is lumping three chapters into one chapter. It's, it's easy to forget that at the end of the story, at the end of our life's pilgrim journey, for those who uh, believed in Christ as their Savior from sin, when we die, heaven is going to come in three chapters, not just one. The first chapter is what theologians call the intermediate state. It's where we'll go and what we're going to experience when we die now. We go to heaven. It's called the intermediate state because it's a unique kind of state of being in a period that's intermediate between the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. That is, it's between the day we die and the day we get our glorified bodies when Christ returns to rule on the earth. It's what my mother is experiencing right now and many of your loved ones too. It's when your spirit leaves your body and you enter for a while into this disembodied state, a spiritual state of joy and peace with the Lord. How do we know that's what happens? Well, many places in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says, We prefer to be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. That is, when we die, we're absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's what Paul's saying here. Be, um, uh, all who are true believers in Him, believers that He died for our sins so we could be for, with Him forever in heaven. For those who do that, when they die, they're absent from the body, present with the Lord. Because when we pass on, the body stays behind. Like Solomon said, the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And as it says in Psalm 16, when you're there in His presence is fullness of joy and His right hand up there are pleasures forevermore. So it's just the Spirit that goes to heaven when someone dies before we return to Christ. That's chapter 1. Then heaven's second chapter will start when Christ returns. When the Lord Himself, like Paul said, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The Bible says that when this happens, when He comes, we shall all be changed. 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. It's easy to remember the second chapter of heaven will start when that happens, at the second coming of Christ. When we'll get our glorified bodies and then we'll rule with Christ on the earth as we know it right now for a thousand years. So, chapter 2 of heaven will actually be on the earth. It's the millennial kingdom, which we explored last week. But this week, we'll start chapter 3. What happens after the thousand years, according to Scripture? And that is the eternal kingdom that will be in a new creation. 
Revelation 21, where we find out about it, divides simply into two parts. In verses 1 to 8, we see the characteristics of the new creation. And then verses 9 to 27, we see the centerpiece of the whole creation, and that is the new Jerusalem. First, the characteristics. And today, we'll look at verses 1 to 3. But first, backing it up a bit, let's see what leads up to it. The end of chapter 20, John said, I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. You see, at the end of the thousand years, God will appear to judge the living and the dead. And in his presence, all creation will disappear. And all that will be will be our eternal souls that will last forever, and he'll judge the living and the dead. And when he appears in the fullness of his glory, it says the creation will disappear. And we'll see why in just a bit. And then in chapter 21, verse 1, our text for today, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. So, smile. Though your heart is aching, smile even though it's breaking. Smile, for tomorrow He'll come shining through for you. But there are a whole lot of other reasons. This is the great presence of the new creation when at long last He'll come shining through. For God Himself shall be among them, no longer distant. He'll be among us all because there will no longer be any, what? Sea. As it says in verse 1, the sea shall be no more. Now listen to me. The main idea is this. God Himself shall be among them, verse 3, because, verse 1, there shall no longer be any sea. Now, at first you do a double take. No longer any sea. How did that slip in? What What does that have to do with anything? And what does this have to do with the presence of God? Is the new earth going to be just one one huge landmass, one big continent? Is there something about the seas and the oceans um, that uh, keep them out of heaven? That, that's what some commentators think, because they're evil. That's where people die, with shipwrecks. And uh, it may sound something like that. Unless you remember, unless you put it in the context of Revelation and make the connection to the beginning of the book where he tells us what the sea is. He tells us way back in Revelation 4. It's before the new heavens and the new earth come, before the millennium, the thousand-year rule, back in the first chapter of heaven, the intermediate state. And in Revelation 4, 6, we find out about something that right now is separating earth and heaven. John says he saw a throne in heaven, and one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And then here it is, before the throne there was, as it were, 
a what? Sea of glass-like crystal. It's a crystal sea. Not a liquid, but a solid. A celestial sea in a different dimension that stretches far and wide, and we know it plunges deep down beneath the throne of heaven. And we know that because when Ezekiel in the Old Testament was looking up and he was given a vision of the throne of heaven, he was from the earth and he was creening way back and he was looking up at it, looking at what? Ezekiel 4.22, he says, I saw something like an expanse, an awesome gleam of crystal. Does that material sound familiar? Extending over our heads, above the expanse that was over our heads. And on top of that, there was something resembling a throne, on, uh, high up, with, uh, and a figure of the appearance of a man. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And when Moses was brought up there in Exodus 24, it says that under his feet, that is under the throne, there appeared, he said, to be this pavement of sapphire as clear and deep as the sea. And so pulling it all together, there are many other references. What John saw before the throne was a solid sea, a vast expanse that stretched perhaps as far as the eye could see all around him and that plunged downward to this, this oceanic depth. A crystal sea, which to this day, in another dimension, maybe around us, separates earth and heaven. Why? Why is it that the mind that has found God still retains or constantly reverts to the feeling of not having found Him? Why that insurmountable obstacle? What's the obstacle? That unbridgeable gap. Why always a wall or a gaping void? Why can't we just see Him? It's the sea. Not an earthly ocean, but a celestial sea. It's not a liquid, more like a solid, again, a crystal. And the bottom line function of this great ocean is this. is to separate a holy God from an unholy and fallen creation. Because... Just like we sang, He is holy, He is mighty, the great I Am, the mighty God, Lord of everything. It's to separate the consuming fire from the creatures He so loves. Because as we also sang, He is our Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, and Friend. It's to protect us from those flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder that we read about and the seven torches of fire that were aflame before His presence. From the one, it protects us from the one whom heaven and earth is going to flee away from. From the, the, the nuclear resplendence of His glory. Thank goodness He protects us. Just think of it. Look around you. Look around you at those mountains, that lake, the snow, the sky. The earth is so full of His glory, isn't it? But all we see here is just a bare glimmer compared to Him. That's the teaching. We see, Paul says, as through a glass darkly, as through a crystal sea, dimly. You see, God's not separated from us because He's weak or because He's cruel, but because He's holy and compassionate. It's because of His compassionate, He's compassionate and holy, that Job said, how small a whisper do we hear of Him. 
we who couldn't stand his thunder. Or Isaiah, truly you are a God who hides yourself, we who couldn't stand his lightning. The crystal sea answers an age-old question, where is he? It's, it's asked both by believers in Christ and those who aren't followers of Christ alike. Where is he? Why can't I see him? Where is God when it hurts? Where is he? Well, that's the answer to that question. But let's talk about the what a bit. So what? What, what difference does that make to the way we live our lives when the rubber meets the road? Let me give you a few. One, knowing all this is but a glimmer helps us, at least me and I'm sure many of you, to stand in awe of our God and to fall to our knees like Ezekiel did. Remember what he did when he saw the Almighty exalted above the crystal sea? When I saw him, he said, I fell on my face. That is the single appropriate posture, the most healthy posture possible for a creature. And we bring untold hell on earth into our lives because we don't get the posture right. It all flows out of that. It's good and healthy for the creature to fall on his face on a regular basis, especially in a day and in a nation when the fear of the Lord is all but a lost virtue. It's all, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. When the Bible says his eyes were like a flame of fire and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You know, in Sunday school pictures, I used to see Jesus painted in kind of watercolor and he's painted as though he's standing there saying, there, there. You know, when in fact, when he appears, he always says, fear not. Just read the Bible. You need to know that we serve an awesome God. It's good for your soul to know that. As C.S. Lewis said, the great spirit you so likely and lightly invoked is not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. A lot of people think that's God, a grandfather in the sky. Nor is he the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate, nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests. No, the great spirit you so likely invoked is the consuming fire himself, the love that made the worlds. One, we serve an awesome God who deserves our fear and respect. He deserves it. We need it. And our nation needs it. Two, we serve a loving God whose love is a consuming fire, the love that made the world. He's not distanced because he doesn't care about you. Oh, no. He's distant because he loves you. Someone said, without somehow destroying me in the process, how could God reveal himself in a way that would leave no room for doubt? If there were no room for doubt, there would be no room for me because he's a consuming fire, for no man can see God and live. He loves you, and he's trying to win you and to woo you rather than just to overwhelm you. He wants to know you and befriend you by your choice and not just His. He loves you. So seek Him and give Him a chance and you'll find Him. Seek Him. Uh, the best place is through His Word. 
And you might want to start in the Gospel of John. You'll find out in the Gospel of John about the one who created all this. About what He feels for you. What difference does it make to know about the sea? Three. If you know Him, He's preparing you for the day when He's no longer going to be distant. When He'll reveal Himself in a way that will leave no room for doubt and plenty of room for you because He's purifying you now so you won't be consumed. He's letting more and more of His fire come through the sea in your life in carefully measured amounts that purify you in a way that you can handle it, that doesn't destroy you, so you'll be ready for Him. His fire comes through the sea in the form of affliction and discipline and persecution through any and all kinds of adversity. So take heart. Through all these, He's preparing you. for the consuming fire, for the love that made the worlds. For the unmediated, unshielded blaze, as someone said, of a consensual consummation. Four, you will not be alone forever. The longest it will be will be the blink of a life. All this is the blink of a life compared to eternity. You may feel all alone, excluded from all the circles that count. That's because we were created to be, we were in the image of God, and we were created to be with Him in the end, to be in the inner circle of the universe. But we fell away from Him and sinned, and so He had to intervene and separate Himself and do all these things. But we're created to be in the inner circle of the universe. And so there's nothing wrong with you that you feel that way, alone, isolated. Where is God? There's nothing wrong with Christianity. No, through it all, because of the loneliness, because of the pain, because of the affliction and the persecution, because of all that, through it all, He is bringing you to Him. You're headed for the only one in the universe that matters, the very presence of God when He will be with His people what you were created for, and He'll fill your cup. And in the meantime, His sea of protection is all around you, illumined by all these glimmers of His glory. And one day, this sea through which we see will disappear, and He'll be there instead. And we'll see He was always there. You'll not be alone forever. Five, though we see as through a sea, through a glass dimly, (laughs) what a sight it is. Amen? In fact, through all that we see, all that we see, someone said, is beckoning us to trust Him for all that we can't see. All that we see is beckoning us to trust Him for all we can't see. Yes, He's left plenty of distance, plenty of space for faith, but looking around you, you'd have to be blind not to believe. It's like a song that my mom played again and again through her widowed years. My sister and I were just toddlers, but we'll never forget it. It goes like this, If we could see beyond today as God does see, If all the clouds should roll away, the shadows flee. Or present griefs we would not fret. Each sorrow we would soon forget. For many joys are waiting yet for you and me. 
If we could see, if we could know, we often say, but God in love a veil doth throw across our way. We cannot see what lies before, and so we cling to Him the more. He leads us till this life is o'er. Trust and obey. Six, we talk about Independence Day when we gained our freedom as a nation, and that was a great thing. And it gave us many, many privileges, which we're now in some ways squandering. But thank goodness, that's not the greatest thing. There is a far greater freedom that we will always have, no matter what happens to our nation. The freedom that comes from having to choose Him by faith thanks to the sea that separates us from Him. An incredible privilege. One day, in a single lightning moment, every knee is going to bow. No choice about it. But now we can choose what we really want under it all and now enjoy is the freedom to choose Him in the dark, through the pain, by faith without sight. It's like the song, one day every tongue will confess that He is God. One day every knee will bow. But still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly serve Him now. Now is the time. Don't wait any longer to come to Him. The greatest treasure remains for those who gladly serve Him now by faith without the force of sight. And finally, seven. Speaking of songs, the difference it makes is that through it all, if you know Him, if you know where you're going, if you know how this whole universe works, and we've just scratched the surface, through it all, you can smile. Whatever you're going through, there can be a song in your heart. Not a glib song, you know, that pretends there's no pain if you're a Christian. A song full of cheery Christian slogans that may have turned you off to Christianity. But one that says, like Paul does, we are as sorrowful, and it's really hard. We are as sorrowful, he says, but always rejoicing. It's that kind of song. It's a song in a minor key. One that says, in the midst of the winter, I have finally discovered within me an invincible summer. It's the song of the bird that sings to the dawn while it is still dark. It's the song of the marsh loon that I used to love to listen to in Minnesota. The marsh loon's soulful call. It's the song that's like a rainbow. Rising in showers of tears. Though your heart is breaking, even though it's aching, because one day He'll come shining through for you. Yeah, the hope of heaven is like Nat King Cole. If you could cue it up, singing Smile. Though your heart is aching Smile even though it's breaking When there are clouds 
in the sky you'll get by if you smile through your fear and sorrow smile and maybe tomorrow you'll see the sun come shining through for you Light up your face with gladness Hide every trace of sadness Although a tear may be ever so near That's the time you must keep on trying Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile If you just smile Go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share this gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming.